Hello, and welcome back to Keep Digging for Life, your seminary on the go. I am your host, Jason Epps. Today we will be digging into, as I promised last week, the new perspective on Paul. But before I do that, I want to make a minor comment about what happened this last week. Last week was DTS's missions conference. And as to be expected, if any of you have ever gone to missions conferences, uh, there was a whole lot of guilt. Uh, If you don't know exactly what God has planned for you to do, go on missions. But simultaneously, in one of the Q&A sessions, the um, person the main speaker admitted that not missions is not for necessarily everyone. And I do want to make this point. While we as Christians are called to evangelize, not everyone is called overseas. Not everyone can, like myself. I really desire to go overseas, but the very fact that I have a physical disability confined to a wheelchair. Radically limits what I can do. Coupled with the fact that most uh, missions agencies are very lax on the details. On what will actually occur. Makes it almost impossible for me to plan. That being said. America is a giant mission field right now. With the culture becoming more and more or less Christian. So if you find yourself, like me, stuck in America, great. You can evangelize to the people around you. I will touch on this in a later podcast of the different methods of evangelism and discipleship uh, in greater detail, but suffice it to say, one of the resources that I found extremely helpful is Ray Comfort's Way of the Master which uses the law to expose people's own conscience. So the person presenting the gospel is not the adversary, it's the word of God that's the adversary. Which comes across a lot better than just pure stereotypical uh, Bible thumping. But the one good thing that occurred out of all this, surprise, surprise, one might think, is covid with all the focus being shifted to using technology, I was able to get in touch with one of the DTS professors, which opened up a potential opportunity for me to teach internationally. So, and one of the things I took away from his lecture is that a lot of the agencies that were doing it just came into fruition two years ago. So if you find yourself, like I did for years, having this passion to edify the church and build them up with the word of Christ, take heart because you don't know what God is orchestrating on the background. It could even be a pandemic to help you accomplish his will. You you never know. So, Always keep 
your plans loosely in an open palm, but never count God out. And as I said before, we will be covering the new perspective on Paul. What is it? Who are the proponents of it? What are the positives? What are the negatives? And conclusion. So, thanks for sticking with me. And I will be right back. And we're back. First, before I get into the new perspective on Paul, it's necessary that I give you some background as to what caused the new perspective on Paul to come about. And it's an unfortunate situation. You see, for years, the church has been plagued with anti-Semitism. Thinking the Jews are substandard. This has been going on for thousands of years and to be honest, Christians were at the start of it. Granted that that was the Canaanites back way, way, way in the Old Testament. But this was a, a sentiment in Europe for hundreds of years. And then when it became more fashionable to become a Christian, that was brought in. In fact, Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said, and I still can't believe you've said this, that God always hated the Jews. One of the things that I've always wondered is Martin Luther was a brilliant man, always concerned about what the scriptures said. If someone read the Old Testament, like I'm sure he did because he was a Bible scholar, how in the world could you come to the conclusion that God always hated the Jews? He chose them specifically, but um, that that's a more of a conversation to another day. So because of this, there was a charge, and scholars realized this, that because Reformation was coming out of an anti-Catholic background, like Martin Luther, The charge was that they were so concerned about the Catholic background and the Catholic thought process of of what would be considered the law that they were imposing on the text. A good question. We always need to be mindful of are we imposing our own situation unduly upon the text to obscure its meaning. So, so far, this is a legitimate question. Out of this rose a man named E.P. Sanders. Sanders argued that the law wasn't meant to keep, get Jewish people in. 
It was a matter of badges, things that they identified the community with. And because of that, Paul was not really against the law and legal elements per se. He was more against these identifying markers. The general principle is, why can't we all get along? This idea was then taken up by N.T. Wright, <laughs> um, also known as Tom Wright. He took this a step forward to say that we are not really imbued with Christ's righteousness. That is not really the matter at all, but rather us entering into the community. In his book, The New Perspective on Paul, Tom Wright goes so far as the goal isn't our transformed nature. It's just entering into the world that God has us to be in. Now, the positives of this is that the new perspective on Paul desired to look and re-examine what a traditional interpretation was potentially in light of the text. And, and that's good and noble, and we should always do that. However, in the process, the new perspective on Paul, in drawing their conclusion, did not look primarily at the biblical data. They looked at extra-biblical and second temple literature ideas. Tom Wright's theory was Paul was a combination of three worlds, the Jewish, the Christian, and the Greek. All of these ideas coming together. And therefore, he imposed on Paul's writings what was found in extra-biblical literature. In fact, that is the foundation of E.P. Sanders' uh, thought process that they're just boundary markers. Because, as we shall see, this is not the image of the New Testament. So, when we get back, I will actually go through and walk through the critique, my critiques of the new perspective on Paul. So, we've seen the history of the New Perspective on Paul. How it came out of the church's unfortunately anti-Semite position. We've seen the founders of it. E.P. Sanders and N.T. Wright arguing that it's not a matter of legal code, but a matter of entering into the community. We've also seen what influenced them, namely extra-biblical literature, not primarily the biblical text. Now I am going to get into my particular critiques of the new perspective on Paul. First and foremost, the new perspective, the new perspective on Paul makes 
a serious faulty assumption. Namely, it takes the extra-biblical literature and imposes their meaning on the New Testament. While extra-biblical literature can be helpful in understanding the meaning of words, meaning is confined to the context of the book written. For example, my culture right now in America is very pro-homosexual. I myself, and this might get kicked, kicked off, but I am not. The Bible dictates it as a sin. To look at my culture and to just assume that because my culture is positive to homosexuality would be akin to saying I would be too, that I'm exactly corresponding it. But the biblical writers, for their context, did not use the extra-biblical literature resources primarily. They used the biblical text. And this is seen in, in God's wisdom of it. Now, <laughs> the extra-biblical literature could be used to help understand some concepts. But remember, like I said before, the main meaning is in how a particular writer would use it, even if they are influenced hypothetically by it. So, what's the major problem with the new perspective on Paul then? Well, for starters, it completely ignores the portrait of the New Testament of the Pharisees. The new perspective on Paul <laughs> reads, for example, a lot of pro-Pharisaic books that says they're not like that. Well, again, if you're writing a book about yourself, wouldn't you want to flatter yourself more? Wouldn't you want to put yourself in the best light? And in avoiding the picture of the Pharisees, they're not getting a full, that, that the Bible presents. They're not getting where the Bible is coming from. And as Paul, as a Pharisee, how Jesus consistently called them of needing to, uh, of putting unnecessary controls on people about how to work, whether or not they can heal someone versus rescue a donkey from the pit, ridiculous stipulations, offense around the law, so to speak. And because they knew the fence, they could bypass it and dance around it. But the average person couldn't. It was, it was a very elitist attitude that the Pharisees had, not much like some people in our culture today, which has a quasi-double standard for the political class and the everyday Joe. I don't need to go into that detail here. But that was the premise of the uh, of the Pharisees, that they were legalistic, that they were impounding a whole bunch of rules. And 
If you look closely at Romans, what does Paul say? He's not struggling with boundary markers in Romans 7. He's struggling with the very facts of the law and the very issue of righteousness and how will I become perfect? Not will, you know, how does someone not become a Jew? No, he calls it a body of death, not a body of not being a part of it. Now, of the community. Now, it is true that in some books of Galatians, particularly, that was considered a serious problem. And herein lies a potential rub. Unfortunately, in biblical scholarship, not all of Paul's repertoire are viewed as Paul. And some people overly view one book as more authentic. So if they value Galatians, I don't know Tom Wright detailed enough, but let's say hypothetically, he would overvalue Galatians over Romans or any of the other books. Then obviously there's some separation there. And if you go looking for a particular concept and say in your mind, you will see it everywhere. Instead of a better approach would become looking at the text, trying to determine what the particular text is saying. Now, we all come with schemas and we need schemas to make sense. But we should always be checking our schemas to make sure it accords with the most of the data. It's not going to be perfect because we're human. But the other major issue that I have with the new perspective on Paul, and you're probably caught onto this, is the whole idea of entering into God's world. We're not just called to enter into God's world, okay? Being called to enter into God's world is essentially a rehashing of the moral exemplar theory. What just states, if you're not familiar with it, that Jesus was a good example. That we don't need, all we need is somebody just to point us and show us the way and we'll be good. We can live good lives. Um, that's not biblically accurate. Not only according to Romans 7, which I referenced before, where Paul calls it out a body of death. We are also called Christ's enemies in Romans 5. Needing to be reconciled. According to John 3.16 and 17 and 18, sorry. <laughs> it, it is God so loved the world that he gave his one only son. So who should ever believes in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. That's a very common verb, but it continues. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That is not an issue of boundary markers. That's an issue of a serious cancer. It's as if right is 
talking to a cancer patient and saying, oh, all you have to do is think that the cancer is gone or even worse, oh, you really don't have cancer. It's all right. You're just experiencing <laughs> some minor pain, which the gospel is you have a deadly disease. It's stage four. We need to operate now. We don't know how much longer you can live. Right obscures that. And at, at best, at worst, it's leaning and drawing people astray and could potentially consign them to uh, forever and hell if they don't realize how truly serious their situation is. Now, I am not sure whether Wright is a believer or not. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Many believers in wanting to push against what they seem as inappropriate views come on the other unhealthy extreme. But in this case, the traditional view is the correct one. It correctly interprets the biblical data. And I will exactly get into more specifically of what the old perspective is. So what exactly is the old perspective? I talked before about my critiques of the new perspective and why I wasn't fully satisfied primarily. Their imposition on extra-biblical literature on the text and their obscuring of the message of the gospel. Well, the old perspective is pretty much the exact opposite of that. The fact that we are sinners, horribly destined and in bodies of death, we are not just called into a better world, but we are in need of a desperate transplant. We engage in what is known as double imputation. Imagine if you have a, if a person is wearing a white jacket and you're wearing a soiled, tattered jacket. Double imputation is the person with the white jacket takes off their jacket and gets your tattered jacket and you switch those jackets. That's essentially what happened. Not only did Christ take our sin, take our punishment in his death on the cross, we are now imbued by his righteousness so that we are looked and seen not as sinful, but as holy before Almighty God. Now, 
This is what is known as positional sanctification, meaning that while God sees us positionally as pure and holy, we are obviously not in our lives pure and holy. But our entire Christian life is not a fight so much as an uphill battle. It's struggling to get, as Paul, Paul said elsewhere in Timothy, struggling and striving to what he had already attained. He says that in Second Timothy. So it's not an uphill battle. It's more of a living into and gaining what is potentially ours. It's kind of like you're confined your entire life to poverty. And you're, you're living off meager scraps. But in your will, in your parents' will, is a ridiculous sum of money to you that would allow you to live comfortably. But... There's stipulations you have to get to an age and other things. You have this wealth and you are viewed as wealthy, but you haven't fully attained the wealth. It's an analogy and all analogies break down, but that's principally what it is. Because we are viewed as holy and no other, I use this word tentatively, but no other religion has this. All other religions, you have to work it, you have to earn it. We were given it. We were given this righteousness. And we're given the ability by the Holy Spirit to achieve it practically in our lives. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. So this is the own perspective. We're not just entering into the community, but we're revamped, we're, we're reworked, we're renovated so to speak and this seems to take into account the most uh, not only the Pauline language of us being a new creation uh, our cause to be having fruits of the spirit us being transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light but the entire needs that we have that the Bible builds up to and expresses in the New Testament. So for these reasons, I have lovingly questioned N.T. right as N.T. wrong, because biblically, he is so wrong with his perspective. All right, and... Stay in there. I will be back with a conclusion. And we're back. Uh, this is the conclusion to the new perspective on Paul. I just want to say uh, thank you so much for hanging in there. Uh, I hope this was helpful. 
So by way of review, we saw the new perspective on Paul as a focus on badges and entering into the community, not a transformed life. We saw that that is not in accord with the scriptures both in John and in Romans. We also saw and talked about double imputation. How with double imputation we take on Christ's righteousness so that we are viewed as provisionally, uh, provisionally righteous. We also, because of this, explored our desperate need for him and our need of relying on the Spirit to practically come into a realization of the righteousness we've been given through Christ and to use that to rest in our current situation. There's a something I want to mention here before we go. Unfortunately, God often works slowly. He doesn't instantly make us perfect. I wish he did. So we often need to have patience. God is slowly working our sin out by the power of the Spirit. The fact that if you ha are convicted by your sin is a good sign. It shows that the Spirit is working. Non-believers don't really have this problem because they can just barrel into whatever they desire without conflicting desires. The fact that uh, Christians have conflicting desires of what the Spirit wants and what the flesh wants or the sinful nature wants is one of the things that sets us apart. So, all things considered, as in general, at least in this case, the more traditional view is correct. Um, but I would love to hear your uh, comments or questions on it. Obviously, if you are a new perspective on Paul Edgarant, I'd like to hear from you, just to hear if I accurately presented it, because sometimes when we don't hold the views, we don't really see the nuances. And, but, as far as what I've read from N.T. Wright, what I've heard other people say from him, and, yeah, so as always, our goal should be digging into what the scripture says, not what I particularly say. And God has given us the ability to understand it through language and through normal reading practices. So, next week, we will be kind of going back a bit to uh, some discussions on eschatology covering the annihilation of the earth versus the restoration and what that means. And the following week, we will delve into covenantalism versus dispensationalism. And then we might get into three different theories of hermeneutics. I am planning on doing some dialogues with some of my fellow members of the church so that may push those um, general mainline discussions back. I hope you enjoy those and 
I'm not really entirely sure when those would be done because we haven't fully settled the date. It's more like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So, and of course, plans change. But as always, keep digging.